Thanks for joining us on the Father's House podcast, where we are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Want to learn more about us? Check us out online at thefathershouse.com. We'd love to stay connected. Now, let's go to this week's message. All right, you have your notes with you today. Today, I want to start off with uh, talking about the skinny arm sheep herder. Last week, we talked about Jesus. Today, we want to talk about the skinny arm sheep herder. You ever heard of the skinny arm sheep herder? Um, you probably know him as the, as the giant slayer, right? Uh, the greatest king who ever lived for Israel. He, he united Israel. He turned them into an effective army. He retook Jerusalem. He created a strong nation. But today, what we want to talk about that is that we want to go back, back before that ever happened. We want to go back before he was king, back before he killed Goliath, back before he wrote the poetry of Psalm, and back before that he had a failure and had to be renewed. We want to go back to a time when he was overlooked as a teenager. Uh, let me remind you, and we'll go there in just a minute, how the story plays out. Samuel is the prophet of God. And uh, God had, the, uh, the people had cried out, give us a king. And God allowed Saul to become a king. He said, Saul, when I first called you in your own heart, you were humble, but then you began getting exalted because you thought you know how to do everything. And, and then Saul went completely away. You ever met anybody who in the very first of their life with God, they were very humble, but then they got full of themselves and didn't need God? The day we get full of ourselves and we don't need God is the day that we're in real trouble. So God says, I'm going to choose my own king. And I choose a king because of what's on his heart. So uh, Saul uh, was discarded, still the king, but discarded by God. So Samuel the prophet goes to the house of Jesse. Jesse has eight sons. God said, it's going to be one of the sons of Jesse that will be the king that I choose. So uh, Samuel shows up. Jesse has seven of his sons to come to that meeting. The ones that look the part, the ones that are strongest, ones that are probably on the magazine cover, the one that the father said, this is the one that would be the best. But David, the eighth son, he was excluded. He wasn't invited. He was overlooked. He was tending the sheep. So in essence, he was simply, by not being invited, the least likely. The father said, if any of my sons are going to be king, it'll be one of these seven because they've got it all together. They look right. They know how to say it. They've got a good record. Uh, David, mm, he's untried. I'm not sure of him. But God says, nope, none of these, and God chooses David. So I want to look at today, why did God choose him? So our theme verse that I know that you're memorizing, the verses. Uh, today. So let's read them together. This is our theme verse for the series. Read it out loud. Are you ready? Go. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? Those nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking, right living, 
clean slate and a fresh start comes from God by the way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have a saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you look beyond what others see and you judge us by the heart. You look beyond even what we're performing or what we're doing right now to choose sometimes people that are at the back of the line. You call them from the back of the line to the front to be used of you. It's not always those that look the part. It's not always those that have the education. It's not always those that have the experience. But Lord, it's something about the heart. So I ask you to teach us that today. Anoint me today. Help me to say what you want me to say. Uh, give us understanding today of what it means to be uh, a person that you could choose and would be a person after your own heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray. So when I look at this and see that God used David in such a way, I'm reminded of a verse of Scripture in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verse 22 says, And when he had removed, when God removed Saul, he raised up for them David as a king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, read it with me, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Now we look at that and we say, well, wait, wait, God, what do you mean David was a man after your own heart? He failed you several times, a great moral failure of adultery and having a man killed. I, I don't understand. So I'm looking at that and I'm saying, okay, what was there about David? Now we know that David repented. He made things right with God. He ended up living a ripe old age as the greatest king that ever went down in Israel, but he had his failures. He had his failures. And so when I look at that, then I, I look at this verse in Acts and I'm saying, okay, God, what did you mean that he was a man after your own heart? What did you mean that he would do all your will? You didn't say part of your will, but you said he would do all of your will. And so I began looking at that because here's what I understand. You need to write this down. I think it's in your notes. Look at this. Whatever you did in your past does not have to be your one-liner that defines you. Whatever you did in your past does not have to be the one-liner that defines you. Well, I failed, and now I'm a failure. I committed adultery, so now I'm an adulterer. I was divorced, so now I'm far away from God. I was this. No, what you've been through makes you who you are if you'll submit that to God and ask God to forgive you and help you to move on. So I jumped into this passage and said, Lord, show me. Show me, show me what it is. What was it about David that you said, he's the man after my own heart? Because if David was that way, then I want to be that way. In studying about this, I read a quote from Chuck Swindoll, great preacher, and he said this, when God scans the earth for potential leaders, he's not in search for angels in the flesh. So look around. There's no, there's no angels in the flesh in this house today, right? He is certainly not looking for perfect people. Yeah, since there are none. But he's searching for men and women like you and me, mere people made up of flesh 
But he is also looking for people who share the same qualities found in David. Read the last line with me. God is looking for men and women after his own heart. So I began praying, Lord, show me. Show me what, what are the characteristics? What was it about David? And the first thing I think that we can agree on is simply say this, is that be faithful. David was faithful. And so for us, what we want to do is that we want to be faithful. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 11, if you're taking notes, look at this. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And he said, there remains the youngest, and there he is out keeping the sheep. So remember, I told you this story a minute ago. Samuel said, I've come to anoint a king. And so he went down the line, and he looked at all the sons, the seven sons that were there, <laughs> the seven sons, the seven sons that were there. And, and none of those, God was saying, it's none of those. And so he says to Saul, he says to Jesse, rather, do you have any other sons? In other words, if you don't have another son, I'll be back in nine months because your wife's about to get pregnant and you're going to have another son who'll be the one that God wants. But Jesse says, well, I've got one more, but he's the least likely. He's just tending to a flock of smelly, stinking sheep. He's just, he, he's over there all by himself. But these are the guys that, that look the part, that got it all together. And so I look at this and I see the first characteristic that David was faithful even when he was overlooked. Even when he was not invited to the potential kingly, kinging, kinging, there's a new word, kinging. I king you, you king me, the kinging. Sorry. Bring it back. Rewind. I mean, think about it. He's the, he's the youngest. Why? Why was I not invited? Is there something wrong with me? Am I chopped liver? Am I, yeah, I may not be as strong as, as my other brothers, and I, I may not be as old, but, but what about me? But we don't see any of that in David. We just see that even though he wasn't invited to the party, he was still faithful. He was faithful in what nobody could see because the one person who sees faithfulness is the one who chooses from the back of the line who nobody else sees before. I'm going to tell you, some of you that are here today and somebody watching online, you have been faithful through the years in the insignificant things that maybe nobody ever notices and you see that everybody else gets called to the front, everybody else gets noticed and you say, well, what good does it do for me to be faithful in these small things, I'm not getting anywhere. But the end of the story has not happened yet. God says people that are faithful in the small, insignificant things are the people that I'm looking for. I mean, think about this. David doesn't have a big job title. He's not leading an army. He's not jumping off of top built, tall buildings in one leap. What's he doing? He's taking care of sheep that don't even belong to him. Now David could have said, I feel destiny in me. I feel destiny, I feel purpose, because I don't believe God ever calls somebody unless he first of all starts stirring something inside of you that there's gotta be more. I can imagine David saying, there's gotta be more for me. Okay, take care of the sheep. They weren't even David's sheep, they belonged to his dad. 
Hey, take care of the sheep. Take care of the sheep. David could have said, oh, anything. I mean, I, let me rule. Let me run the bank account. I can do all of that because there's destiny in me. That's like a lot of people say, well, if you'll let me preach, yeah, but we say, well, we'd like for you to park cars. Park cars, that's beneath me. You have no idea. I used to pastor. I was on the board of directors. I was this. I was something else. Okay, good. Then we'll ask you to greet at the first front door. No, I, that's one. We'll ask you to take care of babies next door. No, no, no. I'm telling you how God chooses. He chooses the least likely from people that'll say, I'm willing to be faithful to wherever God needs me in this season. No excuses. So here's the question. It's in your notes. So it's like yes or no for you today. Are you willing to do what God or an earthly leader asks you to do? What if, are you willing? Are you willing to do that? If God asks you to do something out of your line or an earthly leader asks you to do that, are you willing? So first of all, be faithful. Here's another characteristic I see of David. Be courageous. Be courageous. Verses 34 through 36. Look at this. And David said to Saul, your servant used to keep a father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it, struck it, delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed a lion and a bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, Goliath, he's just like one of them. seeing he's defied the armies of the living God. David was saying, listen, I was courageous. I didn't just show up today to the big show and tell you I'm courageous. But I've got a track record. When nobody else was looking, I was faithful. But I wasn't just faithful, I was courageous. When a lion would come and try to steal a lamb, I didn't run from that challenge. I ran towards that challenge and I killed the lion and I killed the bear and I rescued the lambs because what was entrusted to me, I wanted to have the courage to protect it as if it were my own. In other words, David is saying, what you're about to see in public, Saul, King Saul, live forever. What you're about to see God do through me with Goliath. It's what God has already done when there were no TV cameras around, when there were no thousands of people waiting to watch it. But when I was alone and nobody else noticed, I had the courage then to be who God wanted me to be. Now, I have a stage, I have a platform to bring God glory and not me. So here's some important lessons I learned from that. Don't try to be in public what you don't first be in private. Don't try to be in public what you aren't in private. If you're not a prayer warrior in private, don't get up and try to impress somebody with your praying. If you're not a person who shares the good news with others, then don't try to impress people because you have a platform or a stage. You see, the thing is you don't get involved you don't get involved with public battles or put me in charge when you don't have victory over your private areas of your life. Don't try to lead people if you can't lead yourself. So David was simply saying, I've been faithful where I am. So here's the question. Are you faithful to take care of the assignment that God has given you? 
What is the assignment that God has given you? What is the assignment that you have on your job? What is the assignment that you have at church? What is the assignment that you have? I'm not just talking about spiritual matters, but those of you who work in a job outside the church, that's your assignment, your job description. Are you faithful in your job description? You say, well, I don't have any idea how my job description can affect me being used of God. Oh, no. This is a verse. And this verse here, I think every business owner, you should have it framed. And you should have every staff person that you ever hire to understand this one verse. Look at this verse. Luke 16 and 12. If you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? You know why some of you are great business owners? It's because for years you were faithful with something that belonged to somebody else and you poured your whole heart into that and now God has given you your own. I look at this and I think financially. God is saying, you want me to bless you financially? How are you doing with my things? The first 10% of my income belongs to God. It's not even mine. It's not negotiable. So if I'm spending what belongs to God, then he says, then why should I trust you with spiritual things when you can't handle even that? So you see, what, what I'm simply saying is this. The gateway to any promotion is to be faithful with what's now. Anything that's faithful where you are now. Listen, if you work for a, a, an employer, then treat it like your own. Imagine, this is my company. And when you see something that's not right, speak up. I mean, if it was your business, wouldn't you speak up about that? You say, well, I don't want to be ostracized. Ostracized, this is about your destiny, about your future. And if you can't be faithful where you are now, how do you ever expect that God's going to promote you and take you somewhere else? I'm so thankful when I see the people around the Father's house park cars in the rain, do all of that, take care of babies, change diapers, play music, do all of that. Faithful in those things. And then God says, I'm going to bless you. Number three, here's another one. Be flexible, be flexible. Then Jesse said to his son David, take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these 10 loaves. Run to your brothers at the camp. Carry these 10 cheeses to the captain of the thousands and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. So the daddy comes over to him, taking care of the insignificant sheep, and he says to him, I, I want you to take care of the sheep, plus I want you to take some cheese and crackers and some Starbucks to your brothers who's off at the big battle. So I want you to be able to do that. So I'm, I'm going to ask you, and I know you weren't trained in the culinary arts, and I know maybe you're not, you may not run so fast, but I'm going to ask you to do something that I need you to do. Would you be flexible enough to do that? So what does David do? He takes care of, makes sure that somebody's taking care of the sheep. He doesn't just leave them, but he says to his dad, what do you want me to do? Take this cheese, this Colby cheese. I want you to take this cheddar cheese. I want you to take it to your brothers. And I want you to be flexible enough to do something out of your ordinary thing. I want you to be able to do that. What if your boss this week says to you, hey, I know probably you're doing more than anybody else around here but I've got this need. And so-and-so, they can't be here for a while, and I need you to work in this area. How flexible are you? Or you say, 
No, you can't ask me to do that. I've got my other one down to a fine tune. No, are you flexible? Are you flexible? Here's what I learned a long time ago. Any professional or any team, sports team, sometimes you have to play a position that's not your own. You've seen them. Everybody gets hurt in the football game. And now they bring up somebody said, this guy was a high school quarterback. He hasn't quarterback since he's been in high school, but we don't have any more quarterbacks. And so they ask him, we want you to quarterback for the rest of this game. You've got to be out of your ever living mind. I haven't thrown a ball in eight years, and now you're asking me to do that? No. But a team member say, you know what? It's not my strength. It's not my giftings. But if that's where I'm needed, that's where I will serve. You know what? You know how God chooses people from the back of the line? It's people that say, look, I'm flexible. It may not be my giftings, but I can do it. I can do it. Andrea, I can do it. I can play the keyboard if I have to. If we don't have anybody else to play the keyboard, I can play the keyboard. As long as it's in the key of F and G. One of those, then I've got it. Don't ask me why those two. Those are the only ones that have really ever worked for me. But I've learned that all of my life. Nothing is beneath me. Nothing is something that I say, this is my lane and I'll only stay in this lane. Look, my lane here is to preach and help you. But if I walk on campus like I did Wednesday and I see two pieces of trash out in the parking lot and out in the front, guess what? I went over and one of them was a dirty napkin, probably somebody blew COVID on two. And I go over and I pick up that with two fingers and I pick the other with up two fingers and I come and undo the thing and bring it in, throw it in the trash and then wash my hands. Because that my lane? I could have simply said, hey, I'm the pastor. Why didn't Chris pick that up? Why didn't Tim pick that up? Why didn't CJ pick that up? No, I want to be flexible enough. If I see a need, I'm willing to do that. Every week we have people, sometimes CJ will say, hey, you know what? Somebody can't show up this week and serve where they are. So would you fill in? Well, it's Saturday. You didn't give me enough advance notice. No, people that have a heart after God say, well, it may not be my strength. Listen, it's not my strength to go over there and rock babies and change diapers. But guess what? I can do it. I can do it. So what is it? What is it God is giving you a test on to see if you're willing to be flexible? Are you flexible? There it is, yes or no. Are you flexible to change in a moment's notice? Somebody says nobody likes change. The only person that likes change is a baby with a dirty diaper, right? <laughs> Number four, rise above negative voices. Look at that. Be faithful, be courageous, be flexible. Rise above negative voices. Verses, uh, seven, chapter 17, verse 28. Now Eliab, his older brother, heard when he spoke to the man. In other words, David came and said, hey, what's going on here? And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Can't you hear that? The insolence. Oh, who do you think you are? Who's taking care of your sheep? We're off here at the battle, the war. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. One translation says, I know you're a cocky brat. And you come down to see the battle. You little cocky brat. You left your sheep back there. You're a nobody. You're, not, you're asking questions about this battle. And I can't, I can, can't you just imagine David saying, excuse me, what battle? What battle? 
I see an overgrown amplifier over here by the name of Goliath that's a blaspheming God, and I see Israel over here in fear, and nobody is stepping up the plate. And what battle are you talking about? But I'm going to tell you, in life, you're always going to find people that are critical of you and what you do. What if David had listened? What if David had listened to what they said? David, you're just, you're just a cocky little brat. What if David had said, oh, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe I, I, maybe I was trying to be too proud. Maybe I, I know you, big brother. You've, you've got the looks and you've got the strength and you've got the stamina. Yeah, you're right. And I, I, guess maybe, I guess maybe I am a nobody. And I guess maybe I stepped over my boundaries. Let me just go back and let me just take care of those few stinking, smelly sheep. I wonder if that would have still been the David that God would have said, he's a man after my own heart. But there's something about, because I'm going to tell you, everybody sitting under the sound of my voice have had negative voices speak into you. Some of you, when you were a child, you heard somebody say, you'll never amount to anything. You're just like your dad. You're just like your mom. You'll never amount to anything. And so you've lived with those haunting words all of your life. You spent all of your life in the shadow of those. And I'm going to tell you, it's not an accident that you're here today. God wants you to hear the testimony of one of our dear ladies by the name of Karen, and she's going to talk to you about being part of this League of the Least Likely and getting over negative voices. Would you welcome her right now, Karen? Good morning. I'd like to share a story about an ordinary eight-year-old girl who came from an ordinary family. In March of her third grade year, she contracted chickenpox and scarlet fever. She never returned to third grade due to a persistent low-grade fever and fever fatigue. So in June, she was hospitalized for tests. She was the only child in the children's ward when a nurse appeared and said, come with me. She was accustomed to going for various tests, but when, she opened the, uh, when the nurse opened the door, she immediately became alarmed. There was something different, something threatening about this room. There were no x-ray machines, no laboratory vials, only an odd bed with stirrups. And standing around the funny-looking table were six nurses, one of which was the formidable head nurse, think Nurse Ratchet. She barked for the child to come to her. The child obeyed. The head nurse continued, now remove your underwear and get up on the table. The child froze. Why? What kind of a test was this? Not understanding the answer and feeling threatened, the little girl bolted for the door, but was easily apprehended. So reluctantly, she crawled up on the table. Thus began an unauthorized medical procedure designed solely so the head nurse could teach student nurses about the anatomy of a pediatric patient. There had been no doctor's order for this. During the or ordeal, the little girl fought and struggled and kicked and was uncooperative. Finally, the exasperated head nurse laid across the struggling patient and spoke these words. You are a bad child. If you were my daughter, I would spank you. With that voice, the child went limp and confusion took over. Were her instincts wrong? She had always been a good kid. But the nurse said she was a bad girl. 
What if her parents found out how uncooperative she had been? Well, shame and guilt took root that day. My name is Karen Sable, and that eight-year-old girl was me. I came home from that hospital a changed little girl. I had every sign of being molested. I had no idea how that one incident, that one trauma, and the words spoken over me would establish a stronghold in my life for a long, long time. No longer a happy-go-lucky child, I was now fearful, anxious, and didn't want to be far from my parents. And what was worse, it took away my voice to say no. You're a bad girl. You should be punished. You're not being good enough. And life seemed to validate this. When I was 10, my parents separated. I didn't even know anybody that was divorced. I was devastated. Maybe I hadn't been good enough. Maybe this was my fault. I've got to be better. I've got to be good. That's a lot of pressure on a child. So I made a pact with God. I had just come from a Billy Graham movie and had given my heart to the Lord as a 10-year-old. I knew the story of Hannah and Samuel, and I was just as sincere as Hannah. So I prayed that God would bring my parents back together. Six months later, they were reconciled, and my dad came home, and I was ecstatic. But I was also fearful. I had remembered my promise. No kidding. I thought an angel was going to come and take me away, and I'd have to say goodbye to my parents, uh, or that I would suddenly get raptured out of my bedroom, and I was thinking, should I leave a note? Dear mom and dad. But nothing happened. And it just validated in the stronghold of my mind that I wasn't good enough for God, that he was too busy, or that I was the least likely uh, person he would want to use. More validation. My first marriage ended rooted in my husband's mental torture that he had made a mistake and he was supposed to stay single. The message? I wasn't good enough to stay married to. Hardest of all, after my divorce, I developed the courage to sing in a trio, but we weren't allowed to sing on Sunday mornings because of me, because I was divorced. Uh, so even the church told me that I wasn't good enough and that I would permanently be a second-class citizen in the church. You've been bad. You got divorced. Divorcees don't have the same rights as singles and married people. So in other words, I had to sit in the back. And life went on. I raised two children. I had a successful career. And then I moved to Indiana, where I met my wonderful husband, Doug. We moved to Florida primarily to take care of his father, who lived in assisted living here. And I was anticipating spoiling dad again. The day after we got here, dad died. I was confused and devastated. And I thought, have we missed God? What am I doing here now? So to numb my pain, I threw myself into sports. That's where I was going to find my identity. Although we were attending church, I grew more and more restless there, and our small group fragmented. Doug and I were struggling, really struggling, over a prodigal child. Then I suffered a pretty severe back problem, and doctors told me that I could no longer play sports or even go for walks. So with a fractured church, no sports, no purpose, and a troubled marriage, the voice in my head rose to a degree that I had never experienced before. What are you doing here in Florida? You have no purpose. Life is pretty meaningless for you. You can't play outside anymore. What's the use of being here? Your kids are grown and independent, and they don't need you. 
None of your friends call you anymore. <laughs> Add to that, no one really loves you. You and your husband are at odds. Your marriage is going to fail, and you'll be alone again. You are a miserable Christian. What kind of a witness is that? You'll never be used by God. You've messed up too much. You are a failure. Why don't you just give up? And I almost did. So in full crisis mode and desperate, Doug and I came to TFH. I cried through the whole worship service because of Jennifer. She was leading that day. Uh, we went to growth tr track. I signed up for life group with leaders by the name of Dowis. And I couldn't pretend anymore that I was a happy, well-adjusted Christian. I couldn't pretend anymore. I was so broken. I was so raw. All I remember saying at our first meeting was, I just feel like I have a dry soul. And you know what? There was no rebu rebuke from anyone, for me being honest, only love and prayers for me. I went through months of painful physical therapy for my back, but the hardest thing for me was when I was alone, I no longer felt like I could hear God's voice. All I could hear was this inner critical voice that hated me. I cried out to God to fix my receiver. I felt like a radio that just could not get in tune. All I heard was static, and I felt really broken. I rearranged our spare bedroom so that we had an armchair in there so I could read and pray and cry. As I worked on getting quiet, and I had to work on getting quiet, I ran across this from the devotional Jesus Today. I see you trying to find me. Our mutual search results in joyful fulfillment. Stillness of soul is increasingly rare in this world addicted to noise and speed. I am pleased with your desire to create a quiet place where you and I can meet. Oh, that was me. That was me. And then there was Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. We just rattle that off, don't we? But I got curious about the Hebrew words of that. Still means to get quiet, to sink, to take comfort in, to be held up by like an armchair. And know means to experience intimacy. So my verse became, sink into this chair, get quiet, and experience God for myself. Every day, something would leap off the pages for me, and one was from the book Soul Keeping that Lon Dowis uh, encouraged me to read by John Ortberg. He says in there, my soul was made to love and do the will of God. Oh, I hung on those words. And what the soul truly desires is God. I knew that to be my true self, not my false self. I knew it to be true. What else could be true for me, Lord? I spent hours just searching and waiting for God to speak to me. Psalm 25.8 from the Passion Translation. When people turn to you, O Lord, they discover how easy you are to please, so faithful and true. Joyfully, you teach me the proper path, even when I go astray. I was finally enjoying being with God again. He was teaching me his path. I was tuning in. I was hearing his voice. And the critical voice in me was slowly dying. 
And God wasn't mad at me. I had gone astray listening to the wrong voice, but he was joyfully loving me and showing me the proper path. He wasn't scolding me. Lies about him were crashing down, and he wasn't hard to please. And I felt like I was healing inside like never before. In closing, I just want to share Psalm 23, 1-3 in the Passion Translation. God is my best friend and my shepherd. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace near the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my soul. He opens before me the right path and he leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. I continue to be loved by our life group. I now teach Growth Track 3. I became a life group leader. I found purpose here at TFH. In addition, I've studied the effects of trauma on children. I plan on enrolling in Bible school to study inner healing. And I have a passion to see the people of God set free to do his work, to be unhindered by strongholds, false voices, lies, or the sin that so easily entangles us, let's be the church he wants us to be. Glory to God. Amen. 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 Wow. Wow. Thank you, Karen. That's the first time she's ever shared that story in public. But it's for you. Because some of you, years ago, were sexually molested. Some of you were told, because of, you'll never amount to anything. Now you're divorced. Now you're divorced again. You made wrong choices. You were raised in a Christian home, and now, and now you've got all these thoughts and all these things going on. You're worthless. You're nobody. God sent me to tell you today that He loves you and He sees you and He loves to choose people that other people say they'll never amount to anything. And the lies that you've been hearing, you're the wrong color, you're the wrong age, you're the wrong this, you're the wrong something else. God specializes in the league of the least likely. So are you able to raise rise above the negative voices and here's the last one just finishing up real quick be faithful be courageous be flexible rise above negative voices and be a finisher be a finisher finish what you started david prevailed over the philistine with a sling and a stone struck the philistine and killed him and there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of the sheath, killed him, and cut off his head. David didn't leave it just with a stone, but he took the Goliath's sword to cut it off. He said, I'm going to finish what I start. In military war at that time, it wasn't just a rock in the head that meant that, but it's when you took the head of the enemy. And so he said, I'm going to finish what I started. So the question is, are you a finisher? Do you finish what you started? You started cleaning out your closet. Have you finished? You started cleaning out the garage. Have you finished? We are to make commitments and finish the commitment. We're to make promises and finish those. 
When you sign up for something, you show up for that. Listen, we all quit like, we all feel like quitting at times. But here's what I want you to realize, why it's so important for you to catch these characteristics. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 11. Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring David, the skinny armed sheep herder, for we will not sit down till he comes here. He says, listen, none of us are going to sit down until God's chosen, the one that he chose is going to show up for this purpose. And I read that and I thought, who's waiting on you? Who's waiting on you? To show up where God has you. What, what, what business, what, what outreach into our community, what ministry is on hold? Because God's waiting for you, the least likely, to simply say, here I am. He chooses us because we are flexible, we're courageous, we're faithful. You know what? And then He equips us. He will come and get you when it's your time to be promoted. There's somebody sitting here or the sound of my voice today. You say, you know what? I've been faithful. My employer has never seen me. I've been faithful in serving and I never get any, any recognition. I, I, I'm just faithful and I do that. But I want to tell you, when it's your time, when it's your time and God has seen you, he can go to the back of the line and nobody else sees you and he will come to you. It's not you coming to the front of the line and volunteering, but he comes to where you are and he finds you where you are. He found me in the cornfields of Illinois. Nobody in my family had ever been a preacher. Nobody in my family had ever gotten away from that area. But at 12 years old, God spoke into my heart and said, I've chosen you. And he showed me things that I would see and do in my life. And in the midst of that, I felt like, no, no way. It can't be. It'll never be. But guess what? I'm standing here today because God chooses the least likely. He chooses from the back of the line. And I'm one of those today, the least likely from the back of the line. I'm not the smartest. I'm not the brightest. I'm not the one that God chose first, but I'm the one that's here today and I'm living, as Karen said, in my purpose and in my life. And that's what God wants for you today. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to pray for you this morning. Lord, we just want to be teachable, available, flexible, changeable. There may be someone here today, Lord, that just feels like they're unworthy, they're insignificant, they've got a bad past. And you just simply say, I'm not worthy today. But Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts with the word from God that says, I'm not through with you. I have a place for you in my kingdom. Others are waiting on you to show up with what God is doing in your life. Saying yes today. Maybe you're here today and watching online and you've never invited Jesus into your heart, into your life. You've been trying to do good. You keep trying to do good and do better. But if we could do good and then get to God, Jesus would not have had to die. But Jesus came to this world, lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for your sins and my sins. He rose again so that we could have a fresh start, a new beginning. So we wouldn't live the rest of our life as the least likely. 
never chosen. But he says, today I choose you. I choose you. Jesus said, no one can come to me except the Father draws him. And today the Holy Spirit is drawing some of you today to say yes to Jesus. Maybe years ago you had a heart after God, but you've gone, grown cold or you began listening to the, some of the lies that said you'll never make it. Today, if it's time for you to rededicate your heart to the Lord or for the very first time you want to surrender your heart to Jesus, I want to lead you in prayer today. I want to pray with you and for you today. If that's you, would you raise your hand and make eye contact with me and say, Terry, pray for me today. Pray for me today. I need that. Thank you, ma'am. Others today, that's me. Pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Others today, thank you. Say, lead me in that prayer. Let it be me. Those of you that are watching online, just lift your hand right where you are. Say, that's me. That's me. That's me. Thank you. Thank you over here. Thank you. Let me lead you in this prayer. Would you pray this prayer with me? No one should ever have to pray this prayer alone. Father God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for my sins. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died for my sins and he rose on the third day and he lives today. As best as I know how, I want to serve you all the days of my life. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, I pray. I pray. Church, would you celebrate with me today with those who prayed that prayer? Would you celebrate with me today? Let's pray about these needs. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. It's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in your life. We would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps might be, visit thefathershouse.com slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the kingdom.